recorded at Get a Grip Studios in Toronto, Canada, a Get a Grip management production and in association with the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Financially supported by the good folks at the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, this is Restoring Darkness podcast. This episode of Restoring Darkness is brought to you by Evluma. If you're serious about contributing to the reduction of light pollution, go to evluma.com, hover over products, and click on Dark Sky Friendly Lighting. Both the Omnimax and Max lights are International Dark Sky Association certified. The warmer color temperatures of the Omnimax reduce the more easily scattered blue wavelengths, which contribute to glare and sky glow. With Max lights, you get full cutoff, which also means no uplight and a significantly reduced contribution to sky glow. And all of Avluma's outdoor lighting product lines come with dimmable drivers for even more control. If your customer is looking for dark sky friendly fixtures with energy savings while still meeting the demands of decorative lighting, look no further than Evluma. Evluma, illuminating the pursuit of dark skies. Welcome back to the Restoring Darkness podcast. On today's show, I have a really complicated German name guy. Again, more Germans. It seems like there's tons of Germans in this dark sky space. They love it. Lots of Canadians too, though. I'm speaking with Bernd Prushold. Um, he's an astro. I'm sure I messed up his name really bad, and he'll correct me in one second. But he's an astrophotographer and author. And from 1998 to 2003, he studied communication science, sociology, and cultural studies at the University of Münster in Germany. Shortly after, he started to produce astronomical time-lapse videos, an activity which turned into a profession. His footage has been distributed by TV stations, planetariums, and different agencies. The European Public Service Channel, ARTE, accompanied his work in the documentary Expedition Starry Sky. In recent years, Burned has been performing increasingly as an artist and a writer. In addition to numerous contributions to astronomical journals, he published the book, hard to pronounce German name, he'll say it in one second, but it's translated as Destination Starry Sky a guide to the best astronomical observing sites in Central Europe and Scandinavia. His astronomical photographer, uh, photographs have been featured in a large number of exhibitions in Germany and abroad. Um, his website, sternstunden.net, that's S-T-E-R-N-S-T-U-N-D-E-N.net, and he's on Facebook, at Bern Prostold on Facebook there, yeah. And uh, he's going to tell us how to pronounce his name and how to pronounce his book in one second. But before we do, we have to thank the members of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors who present this show. Go to NAILD.org if you are a lighting distributor and you want to help out the darkness restoration and preservation movement. How's it going, Bernd? Nice to have you on the show. Uh, Thanks. I'm very fine. Thank you for uh, the invitation. And your introduction was quite fine regarding the pronunciation of my name. It's Bernd Proschold and... uh, the book is Reisezil Sternenhimmel, uh, so it's uh, about the destinations uh, where you still can see the, see the stars in Europe. We've we've often talked about this. Though the show used to be called Starving for Darkness in the old days when we first started it, and now we've changed the name to Restoring Darkness, and more of a mission rather than pointing out the hunger and the pain. Um, it's become how do we accomplish this? this century. And so on this show, we believe that 
that the the issue is going to take a long time to fix, but not that long. Maybe one person's lifetime will be enough time for us as a species to understand that light pollution is pollution and correct the problem. And that first step, one of the first things we have to do is make darkness and starry skies economically viable, right? And I think that's what, what you're doing here is highlighting the value or the treasure of this. Tell me a little bit about the process by which you go about doing that, creating a book about destination scary skies and kind of seducing people into the movement. How do you how do you go about thinking about something like that? Oh, that has been uh, very uh, many points uh, in one yeah. question. One question. So yes. uh, just let let me try to pick up uh, sure. on uh, on one point. It's uh, you asked uh, how I uh, came uh, to um, write this book. Mm -hmm. Actually, uh, as you told in the introduction, I'm a photographer. Um, I've been um, very much a time lapse photographer, but just uh, night sky, just uh, astronomy related. And uh, I've been doing this since many, many years. And of course, I've been, um, um, I made a, a long way through many uh, different regions of Europe. And uh, so actually, I produced this um, footage and those uh, pictures, um, not to save the world, but uh, because I, I like, uh, like to take pictures. And of course, I uh, try to generate a little bit of money out of these pictures. And uh, well, and of course, looking for dark sky sites is a very important part, the location scouting. I just, it's not possible to go out there, put up my camera and uh, uh, take time-lapse of the night sky because everything is polluted. So I have to very, very, very carefully select, select where, where I go. And um, well, after many years doing this, um, I tried uh, more and more to reflect about it and uh, reflect about the environmental impact. And so I was very, very well prepared to uh, write uh, such kind of book and to um, yeah, discuss uh, about the problems uh, generated by light pollution. And what are some of the problems? Well, of course, it's, uh, it's a large number of problems. Uh, I think um, in, in the view of an astrophotographer, it's, um, it's not just the intensity of the light, it's uh, the fact that the light is spreading over uh, hundreds of kilometers. So actually, if I want to go to a really, really dark, sky, uh, dark side from where I live in the center of Europe in Cologne, it's impossible when I drive two days with my car because mm. the darkest place I come to is in central Scandinavia. And in central Scandinavia, there is no place where you have, have 200 kilometers around you uh, without a village. It's not possible. And I think Canada is a little bit better because you have more countryside. But in Europe, it's absolutely impossible. And so I have to always to do a little bit of compromise when uh, um, taking my pictures. Mm. And uh, if I get older, I'm starting to appreciate that there are more important um, aspects of light pollution uh, than just uh, connection to the cosmos. Uh, I think uh, biodiversity from my current view is the most important uh, problem uh, light pollution is causing. I disagree with that. I think the connection to the cosmos is the most important part. 
And I know it seems strange to say that, but I want to I want I want to bring you back to that because I think that's what we've lost is the connection to the cosmos. And I think that we as if we get that connection back, it's kind of step one for us to fix everything else. Like we have to realize that we're on a wet rock spinning around a nuclear fusion reactor in the middle of an enormous universe and what a miracle all this is and what and have some gratitude and then and then start living that out and i i I feel like the first step towards that burn is really to reconnect to the cosmos and whether that's god or however you want to describe it I think it's the most important part. I think you should come back to that side. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to come back because you uh, pretty well uh, described my mission. That's um, Today it's not just about uh, taking uh, images, it's also about the story. And um, in my philosophy, we are cosmic beings and it's very, very, maybe the most important uh, part of my work today to uh, not just to take pictures, but to tell a story about us and our species in the universe. But I just uh, had a view from a very economic, strategic um, point on this issue, and uh, I think um, biodiversity, in a, uh, if you if you see it under a political aspect, is very, very, very important. And so um, let's say it's, it's dep- it depends on uh, on uh, the point of view or perspective. Yeah, sure. So yeah. what you're saying, biodiversity, you're saying that there are already laws that exist that protect biodiversity is that why that's an advantage why is biodiversity so or is it just public awareness of biodiversity is very high and that we should leverage that issue what is the, what do you mean when you say politics yeah actually i i'm, I'm not a biologist it's just uh, i attended a workshop uh, about light uh, pollution last week mm-hmm. actually organized by your last uh, guest uh, okay. Etta, and yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, uh, it was in my in my hometown in Cologne, uh, where she organized the workshop. And um, well, the, the issue was discussed uh, under um, a lot of aspects. And uh, actually, uh, to answer your question, I'm not a biologist, so mm. I can't tell you exactly what's the problem. But uh, from what I uh, heard from the speakers at that workshop, it's a lot of problems because it's not just about uh, some insects uh, living in the night, it's about birds, it's about even about fishes. It's, uh, it's um, the whole, oh, that's difficult for me the, to, to, to um, get the word in, in English. It's in German, it's Nahrungskette. It's the chain of uh, eating each other. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the food chain, yeah, sure. The food chain, exactly. Yeah, it's the sure. whole food chain uh, uh, and it's also plants. It's everything mm. is affected. And that's mm. what I learned. And uh, that's how you get, at least in my hometown, if you want to get uh, politicians um, interested in this issue, you don't should not tell them about our connection to the cosmos you should <laughs> tell them about uh, uh, the, the the animals dying yeah oh I, you know it's it's interesting it's it's an interesting point you know um there's a lot of problems in this movement burned one of the major problems is that we don't have a way to measure light pollution either did you know that that nobody knows how to measure yeah. Yes, uh, actually, I discussed that at that workshop. Uh, in Germany, we have uh, a specialist measuring the degree of light pollution. And actually, I think he is a Canadian originally. I'm not Chris sure. Kyber? It's Chris Kyber. Yeah, yes. he's Canadian. Yeah, I don't yes, I don't know. I have to talk to I haven't talked to him in over two or three years now, maybe longer. Um, 
last when last I checked, there wasn't a measurement. About, there was another one in the uh, another uh, scientist we had on, and he was saying after the show that they, they don't have a way to measure the increases in light pollution. They can measure different kinds of light pollution, but there's no way of saying your light pollution has gone up 30% in the last 10 years, or there's no baseline. And um, the satellites, Chris Kaiba told me this actually, the satellites um, that we use to measure light pollution don't register anything above 3000 Kelvin. So they don't re register mm -hmm. any of the new LED lights that we have out there. So we can't, yeah, we actually, can't even measure it. Yeah, that's just what uh, Christopher told me that it's yeah. so difficult to measure. And of course, he is the expert. Uh, yeah. Nevertheless, I tried a little bit to disagree because uh, as an astronomer, uh, you are used to use a sky quality meter to, mm. to uh, measure the, the brightness of the dark night sky and of course the, 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 the problem to make uh, such uh, measurement uh, valid is uh, uh, the uh, dust in the atmosphere if you mm. have more dust and more sure. more uh, the air is wet mm -hmm. you have more uh, the, the sky gets brighter mm -hmm. um, but i think if you do it on long term and uh, you make a lot of measurements uh, i think uh, astronomers have quite good of an idea how bright their skies are and how this brightness is developing over years. Well, I mean, that's, I think we need a standard, an international standard of some kind. We need to get all the smart guys, smash their heads together, and they come up with a standard. You know, um, I think we need something like that uh, to help us forward. I often say that, you know, looking, stepping back away from all the podcasts and all the work we've done with Nailed on, on darkness restoration, um, and that's why I don't think dark skies is the right term, Burned. You know how you hear the dark skies? I don't think that describes it properly. I think we want to restore darkness and preserve darkness. And that encapsulates what we're talking about. It's difficult for me uh, uh, as a German to understand because there are certain certain nuances in the, in the wording. Sure. Uh, and so it's difficult to get the difference uh, between dark sky and restoring darkness. Well, dark sky. We actually don't. We actually don't. So we We actually don't want dark skies. We want bright skies filled with stars, and we want dark earth and dark water. So um, uh, it's I actually see. it's uh, it's, it's, it, it's it's dark sky is the wrong term. It it doesn't it doesn't uh, accurately no, you. describe the problem. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, yeah. So that's why when we talk about it, we talk about night restoration. Or, or darkness restoration, preservation of night, preservation of darkness. And I think because it encapsulates the, this, the biodiversity, it encapsulates the, um, the cosmos, it, it, it helps the astronomers, it, 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 gets to, it addresses all areas of the movement that are important. I think it's going to take 100 years. I think it's going to take us 100 years to fix this problem, Bern. Um, yeah, when, when do you think is the problem uh, uh, fixed? Uh, so which degree of darkness uh, is, is your goal? Uh, I think no uh, artificial light at all is not realistic. So you should no. define what's, what's your goal. Um, I think we can optimize color temperatures, um, get really, really tight on color temperatures. Obviously, some color temperatures are a lot worse than others. Um, I think we can eliminate sky glow. With, uh, that's created by vertical illumination or like, um, you know, vertically pushed out luma can eliminate sky, sky glow probably by 99%. And sky glow 
is really what you're talking about as an astronomer. Sky glow is is really the big problem. Um, uh, the um, the other thing is light trespass can be a hundred percent eliminated, totally eliminated. There's no all almost ninety nine percent of light trespass. Um, sky glow can be almost a hundred percent eliminated, and then we need a way to measure how light comes off the earth and is re-reflected back up into the sky which we don't have right now so yeah there was there was this there was a study um uh, i think you heard about italian researcher fabio falci no i don't uh, fabio fabio falci okay and he studied that how the light reflects back up off yeah the and he, yeah, he 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 asked he asked um um, there are two kinds of light. There are, is a direct light. If you have uh, um, a lamp which is uh, poorly shaded, then the uh, light goes up yeah. directly, direct yeah. emission. Yep. And then there is the indirect eye emission when the, uh, the, the lamp is uh, illuminating the ground yep. and the light is reflected from the ground yes. to the sky. Yes. And he uh, tried to find out what the amount of the... Uh, stupid direct um, sure. emission. Yes, and uh, I don't know exactly his method, but he definitely worked with um, snow. So um, he he tried to find out how bright it is. Is it uh, after heavy snowfall if everything is white on the ground sure. and we have one hundred percent reflection? Sure. And then he he measured what happens if there's no snow, and I don't know exactly what he did, but in the end, his conclusion was um, that 50 to 90% of the sky glow is caused by direct emissions. Yes. And yes. one uh, 10 to 50% is caused by indirect uh, emissions because it's reflected from the ground. I also think that LED lighting is a lot better at being re-reflected from, or worse, I should say, that LED lighting is more reflective off the ground than traditional HPS and other sources were. I think there's something about the chip diode way of producing light and the way it comes out of the optics in the fixture, which is better tuned for reflection off asphalt and concrete back into the to the sky. So I think LEDs are are making the problem a lot worse um, than uh, than HPS and metal halide would have done in the in the in the old days. I think we need to get Fabio Felci. On the get on the restoring darkness podcast producer, we got to talk to this fellow. Yeah, uh, um, you should definitely. But you know, I'll give you an example. Like we're we're really far behind. Like most people think light pollution is a metaphor. Burned. They think it's a metaphor. You know what that English word means? Metaphor. I know you're. you're I understand. Name. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. you have to tell me a metaphor for what. <laughs> I like it. Like they're what they're saying is, and when they say light pollution, is they mean that light pollution is kind of like pollution, but it's not. So what we're saying is that what, when you say light pollution, what people think you mean, politicians and citizens, they think you mean like nuisance lights, lights that are nuisance, like a nuisance. They don't actually believe that the light is pollution and that it causes harm no, and that it see. in and of itself, they think that you're making a comparison in order to highlight or exaggerate nuisance lighting. It's not a nuisance. It's actually pollution, and it causes a lot of problems. And so the first step for us is to realize this. We're so far behind, Burned, and I'm going to tell you why. One of the things that I saw on Twitter the other day was a 
was a shot, a night sky shot of North and South Korea. Okay? And the person's point was that the sign of democracy and success and everything is light pollution. Like, that's the signal, the sign that, you know, everything is so much better in, in South Korea because look how much light pollution there is. And so light pollution is actually looked at as a sign of success, economic success and might and power, economic power. And we need to change that, that it should be a shame that countries that are so wealthy are also engaging in such a horrible practice of irresponsible light pollution. And they, that yeah, pe I, I people don't care. I completely agree that um, education is the most important step to take um, and the most efficient, because if people understand what's going on, they uh, have a bad uh, connotation of, uh, of light, of artificial light. And uh, so it's not no longer possible to to have cities like Las Vegas because people will not like it. So, mm -hmm. um, so um, education is very important. And uh, regarding your uh, remark on uh, South and North Korea, um, in philosophy, there is the, the concept of, of the sublime. Um, sublime, it yes. has been yeah, it has been, has been coined by German philosopher uh, Immanuel Kant, and it's about the greatness of uh, nature, mm -hmm. and um, if you and it's not just about the greatness of nature; it's uh, about the uh, dwarfing um, humans. Mm -hmm. If um, if we see the greatness of nature of the uh, of the night sky of the starry sky, we understand uh, how how little we are. So this, this is his uh, concept. And today, um, theorists um, developed a new um, concept uh, of the sublime. It's a modern technological sublime. This is what you described um, in South Korea, that um, technology itself, so, so things produced by humans, can be sublime. So I don't follow that, but um, I just uh, I'm aware that uh, this uh, this concept has has been coined today. What is the German word for sublime? What is the word in German? It's uh, it's uh, das Erhaben. Um, so difficult to say what's Erhaben. It's uh, it's it's uh, it's uh, related to high higher. It's Erhaben. So sublime is one of those words in English where it's sublime is both terror, terrifying and awe-inspiring at the same time. That's kind of what sublime means, right? Yeah, that's, uh, that's the original sense of the word, how it was coined by uh, Kant. Yeah. Uh, so it's both horrifying and great. Yes. And, it's horrifying and, because it's, it's so much bigger than humans. Yeah, it's terrifying and awe-inspiring at the same time, right? Um, exactly. The, it's kind of like what Christians would call the fear of God is the sublime realm, right? Yeah, there is definitely a religious uh, aspect in it. Yes. Um, the, uh, the idea of technology having its own sublimity, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Like, that makes me uncomfortable a little bit, but... It reminds me, do you know the Canadian, um, I don't know if he's a philosopher, Marshall McLuhan? You know Marshall McLuhan, that guy? 
Uh, of course, I know him because he's a communication scientist, and right. he, he uh, coined the famous uh, phrase: uh, "The medium is a message." Yeah, he's got a couple good ones actually. He's got another one. Yeah. Um, we become what we behold. First, we shape technology, and then technology shapes us. That's another yes, one of his his great sayings. Yeah. And yeah. I think I think that's what I think that's a better description of what's happening in South, with the South Korean model. It's not necessarily sublime to me. It's almost like what, what Marshall, Dr. McLuhan was saying when he was talking about we become what we behold in a sense, that the technology, first we make light and then light makes us. We, we, become, we become the creatures of artificial light. We become the TV watchers. We become the generation without darkness. That's what he was saying. Like you are your medium. You are like the Gen Zs and these people. They are going to be the phone watching people, you know. Whereas we're kind of the TV watching people, or you know what I'm saying. And your 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 media is a part of what you are, and who you are. And when somebody says light pollution is a sign of success, that's what Marshall McLuhan is talking about. You are the technology. Now, the technology is reshaping how you think about the world. And maybe not in a good way, Bernd. Maybe that needs to change. Yeah, but, but I think it's important to get clear of the concepts uh, from a neutral point, And then you can tell yourself if you like it or not or what to do against it. But I think it's important to first understand uh, ourselves as uh, humans. Mm. And uh, of course, uh, Marshall McLuhan uh, made a good point when he when he says that we invent uh, technology and we adapt to it. Mm-hmm. No, then it makes us. We shape it, and then it shapes us. Right? There's yeah, like an so evolutionary force in it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. It's it. Like we we are the people without darkness or something. Like that's something to say that we're the we're the generation that no, no that does not know the cosmic sublime. And what does that mean? Is that the, maybe that's the reason why we have such poor political discourse? Because we're the people that don't know the cosmic sublime. Like think about the pyramids, Bernd. I think the Great Pyramid in Giza is aligned with the center star of Orion's belt or something like that. Every twelve thousand five hundred. Yeah, I heard years. about that. Something ridiculous like that. How the hell did they know that? Like, like that's they they there were our relationship to the stars even religiously or culturally, never mind maybe even evolutionarily, is deep and long in our history. Yes, I completely share your point. It's just the question is if we want to uh, talk, if you talk to politicians, uh, do you want to tell them uh, about the alignment of the pyramids in, in Giza or do, do you want to tell them about uh, 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 starving animals uh, um, in their own uh, cities so i think i want to tell them them about the pyramids i think i want to tell them about the pyramids i'm going to say look buddy you realize that our ancestors built this massive uh, cultural piece of work that nobody knows how they built it and it's perfectly aligned every twelve thousand five hundred years to this stupid star here and that sphinx thing that was the lion or whatever it looks at Mm -hmm. the astrological sign leo on the same day like that means something. I don't know what it means, Bernd, but it means something. People should know that. 
And they should know that we need to have a relationship with the stars. So I don't know. I don't know how to start the awareness in people's minds. And that's what Restoring Darkness is about. We're trying to get the message out there that light pollution is pollution. And we're missing something. And I I don't know if it's the animal play that's going to do it. I don't know if it's the cosmic sublime spirituality. I don't I don't know what it's going to take um, to make this issue just up there with other environmental issues like plastics in the ocean and um, and uh, you know carbon emissions and everything else. I think it's on par. It should be on par in the human consciousness with those issues. A hundred, maybe ahead of them. Yes, currently the um, the, the issue of uh, light pollution is um, getting some awareness, some attention in Germany, because um, we have to save energy. Uh, so everybody knows that we have to save energy since uh, many many years. But uh, since the uh, uh, Russian war against Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Germany uh, has uh, no Russian gas anymore. <laughs> and uh, therefore, they, 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 for the first time in my uh, city where I live in Cologne, they illuminate uh, the cathedral, the Cologne Cathedral, a very, very um, medieval, uh, a very, very famous and old building. Um, and uh, well, there was talking about uh, not to illuminate it uh, since many years, but they didn't stop it. But uh, two months ago, I stopped it because mm. uh, this uh, current energy crisis uh, um, made them to realize that it's uh, a waste of energy. Hmm. Well, I don't want, you know, I often hear, I talk a lot about energy and, and I often say to people that we can't, we like the problem with countries like Congo, developing countries that are very underdeveloped, the number one problem is that they don't have enough energy, right? They don't have enough electricity. Like a lot of people don't realize that. Like they just don't have electricity in the Congo, right? So, oh, why can't they build better um, cobalt mines in the Congo? Well, they don't have any electricity in the Congo. So the only way to get the cobalt out is for kids to smash the rocks with hammers. Like that's basically the reason why. If they had electricity, they would build that stuff. Trust me. But they don't have any energy. I don't like this energy poverty mindset that's taken over since the Russian war. This idea that people don't have a right to energy. I, I don't like it. I think we need to create clean energy so we can use as much of it as we want without any pollution. Well, I think there's generally a different uh, view on uh, this issue in in Germany and in uh, North America. Um, I I think as far, at least it's my impression that in North America, people, including you, um, yeah, they they think uh, uh, spending energy is not a problem and we have to to produce uh, uh, clean energy. But uh, in the German discussion, it's uh, quite obvious that we have to save energy. And uh, I think we should uh, make a difference between developed countries and the Congo. Of course, uh, of course, the Congo should produce more energy and they should do it uh, uh, in another way than we did in Europe, uh, because in Europe, energy production is centralized. We have power plants and uh, distribute it uh, from the power plants. And I think the future of uh, African energy is decentralized, uh, solar, um, and maybe wind, I don't know, perhaps mostly uh, uh, solar energy um, in uh, every little village. 
Um, so I think uh, this is a general uh, different access to this issue uh, in, in, in German so, and so, American. So like, if it's possible, let, let's, you're going to speak as a German, and you're going to say that the, I think the German word is the Zeitgeist in Germany. Is that the right word? The Zeitgeist? Yeah, you, you pronounce it Zeitgeist. Zeitgeist, okay. <laughs> So I, I think it's I think it's that people have accepted a bit of energy poverty is what you're saying, and that it's they're not just about the current crisis. It's it's generally we want to save, and the current crisis is uh, is bringing is, is is this even more into awareness. So I I would say that um that the that in the past North Americans including Canadians were completely oblivious. To how much power they used and couldn't care less, and I think right now um, it, there's a, there's sort of like more of an apathy um, in in what in energy use in, by comparison to Europeans, but we're moving in that direction, and I don't like it. I want people to come back to the other direction because Ontario's um, electricity I think is ninety percent carbon free already. So the province I live in. All of the electricity is produced by nuclear or hydroelectricity. So it's already existing dams and nuclear power plants. And so there's very little carbon in our electricity. And so I want to tell people, you know, hey, we should use as much electricity as we want here in Ontario because it doesn't make any carbon dioxide. And nobody knows yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, but you could, you could, uh, if uh, in Germany, the first argument against this would be to say, let's build a cable and uh, Transport it uh, uh, two thousand kilometers south to 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 big city, and uh, then we can use this um, clean energy uh, in populated areas. Yeah. So what? Like, but the problem is that nobody will buy Ontario. And we're a little bit off topic here, but Ontario, you can't shut off nuclear power plants. Okay. So once they're running, at least the ones that are built in Ontario. With, with the Canadian technology, once they're running, they're running. They can't, you can't turn them down or stop them from running, right? And so Ontario has to pay U.S. states, Michigan and New York and these places to take our clean energy. We pay them to take it. And that what they do is they shut off their gas and coal. And, and then they, we pay them to take our energy. So Ontarians actually subsidize american coal generation and and, and it's per, it's a perverted system but what i'm saying uh, it's is interesting that and yeah it's a in lack Germany, of knowledge it's uh, a lack of knowledge it, 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 i think it's when i hear that it's it's uh, uh, depending on the uh, individual situation of the countries sure. uh, so the germans uh, they don't like uh, nuclear power plants. Uh, I don't share this opinion, but most or well, many Germans, at least the politicians, they uh, have uh, been shutting down nearly all uh, nuclear power plants. And uh, the opposite uh, is taking place in our neighbor country in France. Mm -hmm. So there are dozens uh, of nuclear power plants running. But we don't have this uh, situation that you described. Um, we are uh, importing this French um, nuclear um, uh, energy mm -hmm. and uh, we pay for it. It's not uh, the French yeah. people who pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> 
right? I, I just think I think Ontario's run by idiots, to be honest with you. I think it's been run by idiots for a long time. Uh, the difference is that uh, it's that we can afford to be that way because Ontario is super rich. Like most people don't understand how rich Canada is as a nation in terms of how big it is and its resources and the gold and the oil and the water and all the stuff we have in Canada. It's an extremely wealthy nation by comparison to Germany, which is a tiny yeah, nation. Yeah, you can be you can be happy about that because I think in uh, upcoming decades uh, this uh, natural resources will become more and more important because many are located in China and they will not share it for free. And so you can be happy in Canada that you have uh, many resources. Oh, yeah. We can fit Germany and France into Ontario. Like it's a, you can fit that into Ontario. And I think Quebec can take Germany, France, and Spain all into Quebec itself. They're just the provinces. They're huge places, right? But, you know, back to light pollution here. Um, there's how, are, are, you, are you on board with me when you say, uh, do you agree that light pollution or darkness restoration or however we want to call this is an environmental problem that is as important for us to solve as carbon emissions and plastics in the ocean? Would you, would you agree with that statement? Uh, actually, I would, you don't like to hear it, but I would not agree. I think okay. it is an important issue, but it's not as import, important as carbon dioxide because uh, carbon dioxide is directly destroying the basis of uh, our lives, or at least of the lives in many developing countries. And of course, light pollution is also destroying life. Um, animal life and uh, and, uh, secondary uh, also human life but it's not as hard uh, as uh, of a problem as uh, carbon dioxide Mm. in my opinion okay well i disagree (laughs) (laughs) yeah you you should but but it it depends on the point of view Uh, for Mm. for me as as a person who trying to see the philosophy behind uh, the astronomy and our, our connection to the universe it's very very important uh, for uh, for our mind uh, the, the, the carbon dioxide problem is, is more for is more a technical problem and uh, for our minds of course it's it's a shame that uh, we've been connected to the universe uh, since uh, since uh, mankind is, is existing and uh, it's just since uh, uh, 50 years or so that uh, most people at least in, in europe are living in places where they are not uh, no longer able to see the milky way so there's something definitely going wrong hmm. I, I would push back on this though i don't believe that the carbon dioxide problem is solvable. I don't think we can solve that problem. I, 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 uh, I don't have any hope for a resolution to that problem. I think uh, either the technology that is required does not exist. Um, the, I, I think civilization collapse will happen before. I, I, think the, the, I think humans should just accept climate change. Um, I don't think there's any way around it. I don't think there's any hope at all. Whereas I believe that light pollution is a solvable issue. We have the technology. We have all the information we need to do this. It's not an engineering problem. It's not a research and development problem. It's simply a will to deploy and fix the problem. And so that's where I take issue with comparing it in my mind to carbon, which is not a solvable problem. They, They have no idea how to solve the problem. 
I, I completely agree that light pollution is much, much, much easier to solve than carbon dioxide. Uh, mm. I think it's not, uh, to add this, um, I think it's not impossible to, to solve the carbon dioxide problem because there is not, it's not on or off. So it's either solved or not solved. There are many degrees how, how, uh, how much uh, carbon dioxide emissions we have. And if we just, if we reduce it a little bit, it will be very beneficial. Even are you talking about, are you but, talking about redu re reducing the amount we increase every year? Because we actually uh, continue to create both, more both. and more. Yeah, yeah. At first, we have to to stop to produce more, and I think I think in ten years or so, the world will start to emit less. That's a hope. And but I agree with you that anyway, we will have uh, disastrous problems. Um, but uh, let's forget about this uh, carbon uh -huh. dioxide issue because uh, I completely agree that it's quite easy technically. To solve the light pollution issue, it's just about what you what you mentioned earlier to to shade uh, the lamps and uh, the, the color temperature, mm -hmm. and um, maybe some regulations uh, regarding uh, advertisement uh, plates which uh, sure. illuminate a lot of light and uh, let's say uh, um, sports sport facilities uh, and lighting myself, controls. I'm a member and lighting controls hmm? and also lighting, lighting controls. controls. I, yeah. I think. Yeah. I think it's it's uh, from a if we just want to to solve this problem it's uh, it's it's far it's by by 100 times easier than a carbon dioxide problem to to solve it I agree completely yep I, if I was in Vegas right now and they had odds and they said will humans ever stop producing more carbon every year or will they, without civilization, collapse, total collapse across the board? I bet you the odds would be like 10,000 to 1, like the realistic odds. I don't think there's any hope. But anyway, that's a whole other uh, – maybe we should start another podcast where I talk to people about that because if you look at the facts of it, it's almost impossible to solve. There's so many problems with it it's yeah. so many different areas. Even the electric cars, they produce so much carbon to make the electric cars. It's like you're stuck. There's no way. Yeah, there's... but yeah, but electric cars are a good example. Of course, you have to produce a lot of carbon dioxide to 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 produce an electric car. But in the end, if you see the total life cycle of a car, of a conventional car and of an electric car, it's just let's say half the amount of carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. And if it's just half the amount, there are in the end uh, uh, several thousand or million people less dying. So. Uh, I think we, we should continue working uh, on electric cars. I mean, I don't know. I, I just, I, I, I think that mitigation of damage is probably the better angle in my mind than actually. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there will be huge damage. I think we agree yeah. on that, but uh, we, we, we can try to limit it a little bit. <laughs> you know, I really, you know, we burned, we went in a lot of, a lot of different directions here. We're coming up on 45 minutes. I, I, you know, I love podcasts because you just go wherever you want to go. Before we wrap up, is there anything that you want to say to the Restoring Darkness listeners about your work? Maybe something that I've missed or a point you want to make before we close the show? Uh, not, not directly about my work, but there's, there's one issue which I'm facing often when shooting uh, in uh, so-called dark, uh, dark skies. Um, it's ski tourism. Um, the winter sport ski. Do I pro pronounce it correctly? It's, it's you ski. got it. Yeah, ski. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, and this is associated with a lot of uh, envir uh, environmental impact. Uh, there are complete woods disappearing for the ski slopes, mm -hmm. and in the end, it's a lot of light pollution um, because all those uh, ski slopes have to prepare it in the night. Mm -hmm. uh, um, in order uh, to to make them work uh, in daytime for the tourists, mm -hmm. and this is uh, also independently from from light pollution, uh, uh, ecologic catastrophe because it's you need a lot of energy to produce artificial snow and so on. But in the end, what I want to say, I'm I've often been in the Alps, um, and I go to the remotest mountain tops you can imagine, and put up my camera, and then somewhere in the background there are those. Uh, those machines preparing the ski slopes and uh, they are very very bright illuminating uh, uh, the whole landscape and uh, this is really uh, a little bit of uh, destruction of creation hmm. yeah you know it's um that's it's it's it. i love night skiing like i love to go skiing at night that's my favorite time to go skiing um is yeah. actually on a nice negative five it's not too cold or windy and it's night and you you're going down the slopes and there's lights and all that but you're right it's a massive source of light pollution in an area which is a wilderness area as well often and uh, yeah, it's not about the people it's not it's not about yeah. the people uh, skiing in the night it's about the machines preparing oh, really? the slopes uh, that's that's uh, the thing which is um, and are they going uh, up and down a the slopes? Lot of are they going up and down the slopes? What are they yeah, doing? Yeah, they, they just they, they condense the snow so that it's okay. uh, more fun they to ride it, it on. They groom it. It's yeah, I don't know yeah. exactly. They yeah. prepare it that it's that it's perfect the next day. And, and is that light have... moving up and down the hill? It's moving all night long as well? Yeah, it's moving oh. all the time. And it's not just one engine. There are dozens of engines sure. over many square kilometers yeah. um, polluting the, it's especially in Austria. I'm talking about Austria, polluting mm. the Austrian uh, night sky. And it's from November to, to April. So uh, five months or six months a year. Mm. And uh, yeah, I... I don't think it's uh, uh, today. We should should not uh, um, we should not support such kind of tourism. Hmm. Yeah. Good luck. That's a tough one, especially in Austria where they have all those. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not personally involved. You you yeah. ask me if I have a message, yeah. and I have a message yeah, to all Austrians: one. shut down your ski slopes. <laughs> I don't know what's in Canada, and I have no problem at all with with people skiing themselves in the night. I'm doing that yeah. uh, myself uh, when I when I go to my shooting locations. Sure. I'm I'm on skis. Sure. No problem about that. It's just about this uh, mass preparation of slopes. You know, it's interesting, too, because the moving of the lights makes them a lot more distracting as well than just a stationary light. It's um, We had another German on uh, a couple of weeks ago talking about the lights on top of windmills blinking all night long. And so the first step was to make them blink at the same time so that all the windmill aircraft lights were blinking at the same instead of them going off at different patterns. And the second part of that was to turn them off 98% of the time. And it was a wonderful gift to the people that lived in the areas around the windmills. And so the moving or the blinking lights are are even more distracting than stationary lights when it comes to light yeah. pollution and darkness restoration and this sort of thing. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree with that. And we have a lot of windmills in, in Germany. So this is really um, uh, yeah, very widespread kind of uh, light pollution. And yeah, I hope they, they manage to shut down these red lights in future. 
Yeah, Germany's leading on that, actually. They have the regulations. They got everything. There's a po- Did we put that podcast up already, Scott? Yeah, it's up. It's yeah, you do. I, yeah. I, 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 uh, I listen to it. Yeah, that's a, that's, a great, that's a great technology. That's going to be exported around the world. The software, the technology, it's going to be an export business for Germany. Another good export business for the German economy to export that technology. Ontario has lots of windmills as well. Yeah, but today, uh, no, Germany made big errors. Now, uh, nearly all the manufacturing of uh, windcraft is made in China. Ah. Um, it was developed in Germany 10 years ago, and then it was sold by German politicians to, to China. I'm simplifying a little bit, but uh, yeah. in general, it, it went that way. Hmm. Now, now all our uh, wind power plants are manufactured in China. Well, what are you going to do, folks? <laughs> not not just Ontario has a problem with politicians. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. It's, you know what? Like, the, you, you look at some of the decisions that are made sometimes. And, I, I, you know, I have a I, – I work on this issue globally and then locally. I know, like, the Canadian Astronomical Society. I, you know, I know some people there, and they call me and they talk to me. And, you know, it's so difficult. Like with the greenhouses are a huge issue in Ontario. These greenhouses that that grow marijuana, they have weird Same pink in, lights. Same uh, in the Netherlands. And it's, it's so awful. And uh, they yeah. can't get it. It's like they finally, after years, after 15 years, got them to change one minor law. You know, it takes forever to make progress. And mm. It wears advocates down, you know, the length of the time. We need, to, we need to strengthen those people. The Restoring Darkness podcast, burn on. We need to build a community and be there for each other. And this project, which we can solve, folks, that's right. We can solve this problem. Don't get depressed. We're going to see the stars again, hopefully in my lifetime. Maybe, but I think it's going to take 50 to 100 years. That's right. But right now we're in the stage where we have to teach. We have to advocate. We have to educate. We have to align ourselves. And you know what? If you're in the lighting industry, I got word. I got a little secret for you, okay? This is the biggest bonanza in the history of lighting bonanzas. That's right. You should advocate for light pollution cessation because it's going to mean we get to sell a lot of light fixtures. That's right. Thanks to the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors for presenting this show. And, of course, I'm going to mess up his name right now, but Bern Prushold. And you can check him out on Facebook. Uh, where he has, uh, I'm sure he's got some of his pictures up there, and also sternstunden.net, that's S-T-E-R-N-S-T-U-N-D-E-N.net. Thanks for listening. Look no further for dark sky-friendly products than Evluma. Since its first product launch, Evluma has carried one or more International Dark Sky Association certified models. If your customer cares about light pollution, Suggest the Omnimax with shielding or the Ariamax with full cutoff to reduce uplight and glare. Evluma, illuminating the pursuit of darkness.